Oh man, there's so many tips uh, that you could give someone. I think the first tip is um, is you know do your training. You know if you have a coach or you don't have a coach, whatever the case may be, go look at what people were doing as far as volume, etc. If you're kind of self-coached, um, and just know that you're not going to do much of that race above 80% heart rate, so there's no reason to train above that. Uh, really, train low, train slow, and just do your volume is going to be so your training you know be, be be cognizant of what you're doing in your training and maybe you want to do 100 and you're not at that 100 mile a week level it's okay you could get by on 65 it's no problem it's just going to hurt more uh no problem <laughs> so you know kind of be cognizant of your training and and really give that some deep thought you know and that's kind of leading up to the race and then uh during the race uh no matter what happens don't worry about the time don't look at oh i can't make the cutoff doesn't matter cutoffs don't think about cutoffs don't think about how far you have to go right only just think about how far you've come that my friend was john sharp and this is the inspirational runners podcast hey everyone hope you're all well my name's robbie marsh and i'm your host so welcome to the podcast most people would have heard about the GV Rat Lazarus Lakes 1000 kilometer virtual race across Tennessee by now. You had four months to complete the challenge which started on the 1st of May and if you had time you could make it back home to complete the 2000 kilometers. Well our next guest decided that's exactly what he would do but more than that somewhere along the line he decided that he would be the first home from 18,999 people completing the 2,000 kilometers in 27 days, which is absolutely remarkable. As amazing as it sounds, John isn't new to running crazy distances. I don't think I've ever seen an ultra sign-up CV as impressive as John's, completing many 50 to 100 mile races and beyond, including four big dog backyard ultras and five Barkley classics and numerous other famous races. John has a wealth of experience and in this episode I tried to draw on as much of that as possible, breaking down diet, recovery, heart rate and what it takes to keep moving on your feet for long periods of time. We break down the backyard events and of course his journey along the 2000km GV Rat. He's an amazing guy and someone you'd like to sit down and get the crack with over a cold one. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out in case anyone is interested in touring the Moor Mountains in County Down. All guest houses are open on the 20th of July and I have a hostel that will be available with scheduled trail runs or walks through the Moor Mountains. It's booking up fast, so if you're interested in teaming up with myself, just drop me a PM for further details. Not to delay you any further, it's with great pleasure I give you John Sharp. I know we had Terry... Um, on the show there a couple of weeks ago, she had done the 100,000 kilometers with Laz's great virtual run across Tennessee. So you had done that and back again, the 2,000 kilometers. Were you the first person back? Well, besides the gingerbread, man, <laughs> I was, yeah. <laughs> he was using that on the way back as well. Yeah, yeah. The gingerbread, man, of course, isn't real, right? It's more like a uh, like a nonce or, you know, some kind of, I don't know what the word for it is, but uh, it's not a real thing. <laughs> just, just one of Laz's um, sort of concepts. You know, it's an old it's an old nursery rhyme, right? You know, uh, you've probably heard it before, so. Run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me because I'm the gingerbread man. So it's yeah. funny as hell, yeah. like. Um, <laughs> but absolutely, your Strava looks absolutely crazy. Like, I'm surprised you're not locked up by now, to be honest. Um, but 2,000 kilometers back in the month of May. How many days did it take? 
Uh, 27. I've finished on the 27th day. 1,280-odd miles in 27 yeah, days. Yeah, like 1,270 miles, I think, is what it was. What does that equate to in miles per day? Is it like... Uh, I think it's 47 or 48 average is what it comes to, I think. And it was uh, came out to about nine hours a day average running uh, based on the Strava, just division, you know. So nine hours a day, 48 miles a day for 27 days. Like, how does your body cope with that? Uh, you know, amazingly, it wasn't, it was fine. Uh, somewhere in the, on the way back, I started having some swelling in my left knee on the inside, but I was you know, just, you know, kind of massage and foam roll the calf. And then it just went away after a day and it started being fine. I, I was really worried. But other than that, you know, just general soreness that you have, you know, after a long run in the morning. Uh, but other than that, it was okay. That's crazy. Like, what about your mind and your motivation for getting up? Because last weekend I did a run and it was 51 miles. And at mile 44, I sat down top of this hill, my hands in my head, thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> I've got eight miles left to go. And then I thought, but them guys that are doing the great virtual run... The likes of John, he's doing this every friggin' day. Get your sorry ass off this hill and finish this. Because <laughs> like John done it yesterday, he done it today, and he's doing it tomorrow. That's what w went through my head on the top of that hill. Yeah, well, you know, kind of what we did. We I, mean, I never did like 50 miles in one push. You know, I would go and run, you know, six miles, and then come back to my house and get some, you know, like an aid station, uh, maybe 12 or 10. Initially, I wasn't doing it that way, but that's how it ended up going. And some days I had to work a little bit, so I would go run two miles real quick, come back, then <laughs> uh, you know, come get on a conference call, take some notes, and then you know, when that's over, uh, go back and do two miles. So you see a lot of Strava segments if you look on the day, like, wow, that guy had 11, 11 activities on this day, and they're all like two miles long. <laughs> Did you find yourself you were highly motivated though? Like, were you always trying to like? Did you take it as a race? You wanted to be that first person back. Is that what was driving your motivation? You know, not initially. You know, initially I was like, okay, this is going to be okay, and uh, you know, I'll I'll have a nice time, and you know, I would like to finish in the month, or maybe could be by the end of the first week of June. It's not a big deal. And uh, you know, after the three or four days, I was uh, looking at the the stats and I'm like, man, you know, I'm doing really good. You know, maybe I could, uh, win this thing or something. And, and, uh, so that kind of, you know, kind of got a little competitive and, uh, you know, Dave Proctor was laying down like 60 miles every day. And I'm like, man, you know, I'd really like to, to, you know, beat this guy because, you know, he's famous, you know, like I, I talked with him last week and I'm like, you know, you're the, you're the best Canadian ultra runner since Al Howie, you know, and he's like, you got to, you know, all embarrassed and blush, you know, and stuff. But so, you know, I was kind of competitive. I guess it ended up being that way. Uh, but it was really hard mentally every day to get up and be like, I have to do this again. And you can't really, it's just like, you know, 50 miles, 100 mile run, whatever, you know, if you think about the end, like you can't do it. But if you just think about the next mile, then it's okay. Yeah, and that was like, did you have any real difficult mornings like where it's like, oh, I really just couldn't be bothered with this? Like, yeah, day, day six, you know, that was really early on. You know, I woke up and I was like, man, this is this is BS, you know, like I can't do this. And and I'm not going to you know, I'm just going to do my 25 and I'm just not going to, you know, compete anymore. And, then, you know, I'll just make up some excuse. 
and you know, like, oh, it was fun, but you know, I'm gonna back off, and you know, social media, and you can everybody's like pat you on the back. Oh, you're doing such a great job. It's okay, and and you know, but then I was like, well, let me just let me just start running, and see what happens. And that morning, I actually went to a, you know, in the U.S. we have these big shopping center parking lots for strip malls, you know, <laughs> and uh, so it has all these parking spaces. And so what I did is I went to the shopping center area. And I just ran all of the parking spot lines up and down. You see it on Strava on like uh, day six, back on like the 6th of May. And it's like, what the hell's going on? And so I was running in this parking lot up and down, up and down, all the all the white lines, you know, for the parking spots. And uh, I got done. I had about eight miles. I'm okay, this is good. You know, I feel better. And then I ended up doing 60 miles that day. Jeez. And then it was like. Well, I guess I'm all right. And then day nine, only I did about 49, and I wanted to quit that day too. Uh, that night, man, my legs hurt so bad, and I was laying on the. I got like a chase lounge here in the study, and I had my feet propped up on the chase lounge, and I'm laying on the floor, and uh, I was like, man, I just I can't do this anymore. So I just went to sleep, and I woke up, and I was like, I don't feel that bad. So, <laughs> but I I did every morning. I did take an Alka Seltzer. You know, because it kind of knocks the edge off the the, the discomfort, and uh, so uh, that made that helped out a lot. You know, and then once you get moving, it's okay too. What about your feet then? Like, cause your feet can be one of the biggest challenges, can't it? Oh, totally. Uh, so uh, my buddy uh, Vincent Antunes, he owns. Uh, you may have heard of the products called Trail Toes Foot and Body Cream, and uh, so he owns the. It's his product. And, and his shop is, you know, just a mile and a half from the house. And basically, I was using his shop as an aid station on a lot of my runs. And uh, but so I just used the Trail Toes product that kept them real good. I did have some problems, you know, because I have uh, some calluses in between the index toe and the big toe right on the pad of the foot. So I started getting some blisters there just because of the callus. He taped up my feet. I think it was maybe day five. Cause he's like a hundred percent tape man. He's like, in boxing, you got a cut man and, and trail running, you got a tape man and he's the best. He knows how to tape feet. And so it lasted like two or three days. And that kind of, you know, kind of got me through the blister period. Uh, and we popped them and they drained and then they just kind of hardened up. And that was the only real problem I had. Uh, but you know, it's mostly because of the callus, you know, if you don't, if you don't get those pedicures, you know, uh, you're going to have a lot of feet problems. And also, um, uh, you know, because I was doing segment runs, I guess we'll call them segment runs. You know, I would come in and then I would either change shoes or I would take the shoes off and put them under a big fan to get them, you know, so they dry out. Or I would change socks uh, two or three times a day. That way my feet were always dry, too. So that really helped out. What, what type of shoes were you wearing? Uh, the Nike Wild Horse version 5. Uh, plenty of cushion in them. Yeah, this has got a pretty good stack height, and I think they're like a six mil drop. And they, the the version six, they redesigned the shoe, and it's horrible. Actually, I hadn't even I bought a pair, but I hadn't even worn it. But I bought like a 35 pairs of the version five because I've been using the shoe since it came out, and they had the same footbed all these years, and then they changed the footbed, I think. And so, so I've got like 35 pairs of these things from like size 11 to 12 and a half, and um, but I walked, you know, from Luzanne, Switzerland to Rome and those things. I walked, you know, the Camino Santiago and those things. Like, 
you know, the whole Camino 500 miles in like 16 days in the wild horse. And then, you know, I did the Luzanne to, to Rome. It was like 575. I took a train for a bit, but I wore those the whole time. Uh, and so they're just a great shoe for anything that you want to do. They're like the best shoe I've ever worn. And then they changed the, how they did it. So upset. They need to go back to the version five and just leave it alone. Oh, every, yeah. every runner listening to this feels your pain. Like everybody's got a favorite shoe and the new model comes yeah. out. You get a little bit excited, but also a little bit nervous. And then you get them and you're like, Jesus, last time I wore these just out of the box, they felt great. Now these feel really hard. They're not the same. And right. then, you, then you go on the search again, like, and it took you months or maybe a couple of years just to find a good shoe. And you're like, yes, mm -hmm. finally. Um, I actually have five pairs of Hoka Clifton fives at the minute. Um, three of them are still, right. still in the box <laughs> for that's for that very reason you know you find a shoe and then they've changed it again um, but also you do have the when they go out with the old model they do cut them down in price so it was a real good opportunity then just to snatch as many as you can like isn't it yeah I, I bought uh, about 10 pairs at $69 uh, <laughs> a piece and I bought another 20 pair at like 79 and usually they and they were really reasonable in price like 110 so it's really affordable uh, shoe, even at full price, compared to a Hoka or something like that for 150, 130 US. And uh, so it's it's a it's just a great shoe. The, the version four was kind of bullshit. The version three was good, but the five just they really nailed it. And if I could get a hold of Nike and like shake some sense into them, I would do it. Like you gotta you gotta put out the you gotta put the model back out. You can have the six, and you can people can buy it if they want, but you gotta keep producing this model. It's the best, <laughs> you know. So it sounds like the, it sounds like you'd buy enough anyway to keep them in production. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. What's up? Basically, I got about three years worth of shoes. <laughs> uh, Brilliant. And, and the cool part about those shoes, like, you, you know, you can get the ones I had in Italy last summer. I I ended up with about eight hundred miles on those things, and I still got them. Jeez. Uh, you know, I mean, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't take them out for, you know, a big trail run or something, you know, with that many miles. But if you're doing some treadmill runs or you're doing anything under 10 miles, you, you could probably wear them out to a thousand miles yeah, and they'd be, all right, they'd be okay for you. You talked about rotating then as well. A lot, a lot of people don't really appreciate how important or how that can add value to you because it, it really does allow the shoe to recover again, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, I was rotating. I had two pairs of 11s a pair of 11 and a halfs and a pair of 12s, uh, depending on the feet and how it was going. And uh, so actually I, there was three pairs of 11s. I had one that was already used. but And so I would, uh, you know, like for half the day or one run, I would wear one pair, put them under the fan, go out for another 11 miles, wear the other pair. Uh, if they would swell in the afternoon or something, because, you know, it got pretty hot down here. It got up to 95 uh, for about a week, uh, like week three, but – uh, and, but yeah, I would rotate and that way the, the shoe, just like you say, would get a chance to kind of rebound and, uh, you can end up, you end up can put, you can end up putting more miles, uh, safely on the shoe. Cause if you wear the same one day in day out and you're doing, you know, like a lot of miles, you end up, you know, having, you can end up having other issues, not just with the shoe, but with, with your knee or your hip or something like that, because the shoe is yeah out of balance or whatever from from being smushed down all the time and everything. Yeah, without a doubt. There's huge benefits to rotating shoes. Like you talked about different sizes there as well, 11, 11 and a half, 12s. That sounds normal to me, but other people, 
um wouldn't really understand <laughs> why that happens like um but your feet do swell when you're doing long distance and i think people that are new into like 50 miles or anything over 50 miles definitely um like drop bags and things like that it's key to go size bigger like isn't it yeah it is and and especially with multi-day uh that's the real you know that's, that ends up being a real issue on multi-day because you know maybe two or three days it's okay and then you just have one day where they just swell they don't go down and you can't you can't make them unswell you just have to wait and it doesn't matter what you do because it's not a, a issue with salt or anything it's just an issue you've been on them too long yeah. so when we were doing euphoria last summer i had uh you know started with 11s uh but then i had 11 and a half and then i even ended up wearing uh one like 11 and a half i think and then one 12 so i had a different i had a different size shoe on my right foot than i did on my left foot uh i was having some problems but yeah i mean you have to kind of prepare for those contingencies i i made a big mistake back in 15 running uh the infinitus 888k and i had i didn't bring bigger shoes and it it's probably what stopped me from really getting it done, you know. Well, one of the main reasons, but yeah. You talked about going around the car park then. So what type of places were you running every day? Uh, initially, you know, I was like, you know, I don't want to run the same route every day because I'm going to get bored. And so I was just running all over the place because it's I live, you know, kind of suburban area. Uh, and it's right next to a major interstate. And uh, so there's not a lot of people out and about. So you don't really run into a whole lot of folks except in the little park in the neighborhood. So I was just running anywhere I could to change up the route. And, you know, one section has a couple rolling hills. And so I was doing that like the first on the way out. And, and I was like, man, I don't want to run anything that has any sort of hill. You know, I don't want to get too far away from my aid because I don't want to carry anything. And I don't want to have to stop at stores because then you got to be around people. And so the first, the way out there, I really kind of did it wrong and I suffered pretty immensely for it actually but on the way back uh, i was basically running the same route almost every day every 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 run and then i would just vary the length you know whether it be six or three or whatever and i would leave the neighborhood and then i would go run around the church i have a big ball you know like soccer fields in the back baseball fields and i would run around the church and go past the painting of mary like twice every time i would go into the church area so I would say a Hail Mary each time. And, uh, you know, I'm not really religious and not Catholic either, but I said it anyway. Yeah, you'll, take my... it. you'll take it. Every little <laughs> bit helps. Yeah. And uh, then I would run down past the Treltos uh, shop district where they have a lot of little shops and small business. That's where he, you know, does the sewing bags and all the stuff that he products he has. But And then I would run down by the city hall. And then we have a, a big... Uh, street where they put in a big 12 foot sidewalk all the way down the street in our town and uh then there's some big open areas where it's still kind of like farmland and then i would run around that to the water tank that the city owns and then come back so but i did that route over and over and over and over that especially on the way back you must be sick of looking at that town now he's <laughs> like <laughs> You know, it, it's not bad. You just get used to it. You know, you just kind of get lost in your own thoughts. And, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as you're breathing and you're running. You know, it's okay. You can kind of zone all that out. You know, maybe that's what they do when they do like, you know, six days, you know, on the track and stuff like that. You know, you can't 
worry about where you're physically at. You have to be somewhere else mentally to, to kind of get past all that stuff. Yeah, because how, how much of it in a, an event like this do you think is mental? Uh, it's probably 50-50. Mm. I think it's 50-50. It's equal parts, I think. Yeah, because your your mind's going to give up long before your body is. Your mind will quit before your body because, like, you know, yes, if you're not prepared and everything, like, you know, your body will have some issues and maybe you have some muscular imbalance and then it causes problem in your knee or, you know, IT band or something like that. Sure, you know, that's, of course. <clears throat> but the other side of it, too, is, is if you go out on your run and all you continue to think about is how bad you feel and what if I get hurt, what if I'm doing too much, and you start having that negative thought process, and then I think that somehow manifests itself physically too, right? You get what you desire, you know what I mean? You definitely draw that in. Sometimes I do go out and it's hard to block it out. You know, you know you're maybe tired going out, you didn't look after yourself the last couple of days, and you're going out now for a, a six or seven hour run and or a race and it's quite negative chatter going on in the head and it's saying oh you're not fit for this every day and you know it's as you said bs <laughs> using those that acronym like um but sometimes it is hard to switch it like isn't it do you have any sort of techniques do you go through all that same sort of negative chatter and then have to every morning it was that way you know you get up you're just like man i hurt you know and, you know, usually it would take me 30, 45 minutes of walking around the house and making espresso. I got this awesome espresso machine. It's like so awesome. It's like I got my own little cafe in here, you know. And so I would make one of those and then, you know, I would piddle around on Facebook, you know, look at, you know, people's stuff from the day before, look at the group, like the, the GV Rat group. And then I would post uh, like a, a inspirational quote from like an inspirational runner in the group every morning. And that was kind of like, okay, I, okay, I'm getting my mind ready. And then you know, anyway, I would, you know, get out the door and still like the first two or three miles, just everything ached and hurt. It's like, man, I, you know, I'm just going to keep running and then eventually it's going to feel better. And then usually by, you know, <clears throat> mile five or six, it's like, well, I'm fine. Just keep going and I'll come back and eat some, you know, instant potatoes. And what I started doing Later on, as I would wake up and eat a whole packet of instant potatoes, which was about 400 calories, and it's real quick. You just heat it up, heat up the water on the stove, and you got it. And then I even started adding like uh, two or three teaspoons of sugar, maybe or two tablespoons of sugar, and um, you know, two or three tablespoons of butter in the instant potatoes. And I would have that first, you know, in the morning, and have a couple of espresso shots. And then I would actually feel pretty good because you get that blood sugar back up, you know, yeah. kind of you wake up, it's maybe like 90 or 80 or, you know, it could be 75, who knows. But then you kind of get it up in that 120 to 140 range. You're like, oh, man, you know, I'm, I'm all right. I feel good, you know. <laughs> but then you would go out for two hours and you just be on the floor again, like, oh, I'm dying. And you come in and, you know, eat Reese's peanut butter cups and a couple tablespoons of peanut butter with salt. And, you know, so then you just got to keep feeding the machine at, at that point, you know, so. Did you have any stomach issues then or like, cause I am really struggling at the minute. I'm trying to shift. So I've done races up as far as like 75, 80 miles. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not my mind and it's not my body that's beating me. It's food every single time. 
you know and it, uh-huh. it seems to be it's the more the harder i look into it like the harder it's becoming for me like it's now that i can't eat any sort of sweet stuff at all but i'm just trial and error trial and error trial and error but then i get it and then next time ah oh, didn't work yeah no that's that i mean that happens to everyone for all the time what uh in races and stuff what i've depending on you know the terrain like if it's a mountain race it's be a different fueling strategy than if it would be like a faster 50k or something like that because a fast 50k you're gonna you know really run above that 80 percent you can burn a lot of glucose and stuff so you just gotta put the sugar back in and keep the keep the machine going uh you know like premium fuel <clears throat> but you know a longer race where you're going to be moving slower uh and that sort of thing then it, you know there'd be a different strategy so what what i did for euphoria last summer is uh i have i do a mixture of uh two-thirds carbo pro and one-thirds vitargo in a small ziploc bag uh, and it's about 200 calories per packet and so i'll take that uh for like hour one and then hour two i will eat a payday bar because me and you know milk chocolate don't get along because me and milk don't agree and the chocolate melts so if you use a payday bar it doesn't melt and uh so it's easier and it's not messy you don't get the freaking chocolate everywhere and uh <clears throat> so i was doing that and so that worked out really good because the carbo pro vitargo mixture is kind of like two different style of carbs but they don't have the insulin uh and blood sugar response that a maltodextrin or sucrose does right. uh it doesn't really spike it and get you in that in that rolling you know that you get into especially later in the race and it's easy on the stomach it's tasteless uh so that's that's what I've kind of hit on and it, it's been working pretty good for a number of years, <clears throat> but I've tried it all, you know, like, uh, they have a product called Spiz that people have used in the past. What is it? Uh, all of the hammer products, hammer nutrition products. And, you know, that's kind of what, what I, what I eventually settled on and it works, it works pretty dang good. Yeah. So, you, so maybe you, you, could try that. you think it's just trial and error really? Like the more longer races you've done, like the more opportunities you get. I'm looking like, I did one thing I did too before the interview was I printed off your ultra sign up, and normally it's pretty easy doing the interview because I've got one page of ultra sign up. I can talk about what's <laughs> happening. I've got seven pages in front of me <laughs> of all your races with about twelve <laughs> races on every single page. Like, like it's an understatement to say you've plenty of experience behind you. Like, so that trial and error obviously helps you to come to a place where you know what works. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um... And if, you know, if you have a crew, then, you know, instant potatoes are really good uh, grits because you got a potato starch and then you have a corn starch with the grits. So you can kind of do that. But sometimes you just don't feel like you have that. oomph, so you need some sugar, right? You got to throw a little sugar in the mix. to. And then a lot of times what people really are having problem with is they're not eating enough salt. And I know salt's kind of taboo, like, oh, you don't need salt and blah, blah, this and that. But I can tell you. Salt isn't going to kill you, especially if you're running and sweating your ass off. So like when I'm out there and I don't know what's going on and I don't know what to do, the first thing I do is I take a teaspoon of salt, right? I don't drink water. You know, I wash it down water, sure, but I don't add water. I don't do anything. Take a teaspoon of salt first, and then I wait about 30, 40 minutes. And if I feel better, then it's okay. Because if you just add water and you don't add the salt and you get the, you know, the water log, you know, hypopetrania or whatever they call it. But salt isn't going to hurt you, you know, almost probably almost everyone out there because, you know, salt is like a taboo. Like, oh, it's so bad for you and blah, blah, blah. 
people don't embrace salt and salt's a like that's a number one i don't even take any other electrolytes i don't take magnesium and all that potassium bs you know i just take the sodium chloride man you know like a bunch of it <laughs> it works i mean every time without, tequi <laughs> without tequila i should add yeah and no limes either no limes but it, it is true <laughs> as well like especially on the longer events if you're going over 12 hours like and if you got heat like you don't realize how much you're sweating and like the salt can just be baked on your brow and i started using salt tablets and it does it keeps cramp away definitely and it, it gives you a bit more cognitive as well i think yeah, no it does and i don't even use the tablets like uh you know like, uh, you have salt stick and you have all these other you know people that have these pills and stuff i just take a i get i get like those three three inch by five inch plastic bags that are like four millimeters thickness real heavy duty and I just take salt right out of the container and pour it in there. And uh, so I just use basically raw salt right out of the container and put in a Ziploc bag, a small zip bag. And, you know, save you a lot of money too, you know, like you don't have to pay for their little products and then you don't have to wait for that gelatin capsule to dissolve or anything. It goes right to the heart of it, you know. That, that is a problem in the sport, isn't it? The amount of false advertisement out there. You know, when you talk about salts and all these different electrolytes, like there is science behind a lot of it, um, but a lot of it is bullshit. Like, you know, the foods, the nutrition, the types of gels and this protein, this and protein that. It's very difficult to navigate through all of that because when I started running, you know, I had a lovely 10 mile loop. I went out with a LucasAid sport drink, a gel at mile six, had a jelly bean every mile. <laughs> and yep. now, you, now I'll go for like a 15 mile run without any water. You know, and you're like, wow. Oh, yeah. The body actually d can work on its own. Like, but there's so yeah, much you, crap out there. Like, well, now if you look at, like, you know, when you start, most people, you know, start, you know, typically like 5K, 10K, and then they'll run a marathon. And then, and then the crazy ones end up where we're at, you know. But yeah, so, so it's kind of, you know, I don't want to disparage anyone or, you know, anything like that. But, you know, it's slightly amusing when, you kind of see someone that's a little bit newer and they're kind of like training for the marathon and they have their little belt with their little gel packs in there and stuff going on their long run on Saturday. And it's, you know, maybe 15 miles or something like that. And, and, uh, but cause you remember when you were there, you know, when you started, you did the same thing. And, and so, so it's, you know, it's kind of amusing to see, but you're right. You don't, a lot of that stuff you don't really need until you really get, you know, way in the way down in the mileage you should be able to go out, you know, you can't do it at first, uh, but you should be able to go on an empty stomach, wake up, maybe have an espresso shot, you know, if that's your thing or whatever, but no sugar, no real calories, uh, but you should be able to go up, go out and run for two and a half hours, maybe three on nothing except water. And, uh, you know, and if you're running properly, most people are running way too high of a heart rate, so it doesn't work because, they're just burning up their glucose, and so their blood sugar gets real low. It's not possible. But if you're running in that, you know, linear base base area, right, and you're not trying to go out and do, like, interval workout or something like that, which you don't really need to do. I mean, you do kind of, but not that much. But really, you know, 80% of your running should be at 80% heart rate or less. So if you're sitting in that 75 80% and you're running in the morning, you should be able to go three hours you know, in that, yeah. in that area without, without anything but water, you yeah, know, you use the word machine for your body and it really is like a machine and it's trying to understand how that operates so that you can fuel it properly. Um, like I used to run marathons and I used to take sugar and I found out the sugar was 
Like you do have to fuel properly. Everything everything we're saying here about fuel, by the way, is in context. So anybody listening, right. everything is in context. Um, but I used to take sugar, and I found out after about five or six marathons, actually the crash I was getting from taking the sugar during the course is worse than the actual just consistent struggle that I can actually manage. But, you know, lifting me up, feeling great, and then dropping me and hitting the ground. And it was about lear- yeah, learning about myself, really. Because uh, what people, you know, maybe if you haven't really looked at it or, you know, if you, if you really kind of want to understand it, uh, and they have some nice charts on Wikipedia and everything, but when you um, – when you ingest carbohydrate, you know, whether it be, it, it has a GI index level. So sucrose is like, you know, 50 and then fructose is like 35, glucose is 100, et cetera. So all of these different sugars, maltodextrin is like, you know, 90 something or whatever it is. So, so when you're looking at that, so if you eat the sugar, uh, you're going to have it, you're going to have a blood sugar response to the sugar, unless like you're, you know, you're a type two diabetic or something, I don't know, but just normal folks. And so when you have a, a rapid spike, uh, in your blood sugar, your insulin is going to your, you know, whatever that, uh, uh, I forget what it is that reduces the insulin, but it's going to release the insulin and it's going to push that level down because your body says, you know, that's not supposed to rise this fast and I have to get this down because it's bad. And, and so there's some nice charts that shows, and it's about a 30 minute window before that insulin comes out and starts doing its thing. And it'll push you down below, below 80, right? Especially if you spike it fast enough. So, you know, the way to mitigate that is you have to take lower GI index sugars like fructose or maybe sucrose. You have to take them in the right volume. And then and then if you ingest fat along with it, it slows the insulin response. So you get a more you get more time from the sugar without the insulin pushing it back down. And and so if you understand that and you go out and you and you trial and error that and, and I would recommend like and I used to do it go out and run until you bonk until you can't like you just you can't even run you're just walking and you feel like you just want to like you know call your mom and come have her come pick you up and that way you know what what bonking really feels like like i mean a hard bonk and then and then you start practicing with your fueling not in mile six or ten when you're out training trying to learn in a race you know you wouldn't you wouldn't wait until you're bonked to start fueling don't you know so but when you're out training you're trying to figure that out for yourself you run up until about that bonk time and probably normal folks, if, you know, not really kind of maybe like fat adapted or something. Maybe that bonk time is going to be around two and a half hours or so. Uh, and then ingest a teaspoon of sugar and see what it does, about 100 calories worth or something like that. Add a little fat this time, okay, and then ride out that 100 calories because, you, you know, 200 calories an hour is probably, you know, just fine. And so that's that's how you really would go in, about to do that, I think. And and I'm not sure if people really understand like how to how to really verify that mm. for themselves. You know what I mean? So and a key thing to correlate with that is heart rate, isn't it? So when you say like two and a half hours, like because I do most of my training at the minute, and the reason being is because I went over my ankle um, early on in the year, but all my training is done on in, under 140 beats. So I'm trying to make yeah. my body fat adapted, um, working in the aerobic zone, and just trying to build up strength in my ankle but at the same time i'm taking the opportunity to build long endurance so that i can go right. for a long time like burning dipping into my sugar zone like and right. being able to bonk so it allows you to go for longer and longer because you're not dipping into your sugar your carbs really. yeah, i mean you have, you have to need some sugar to metabolize fat i mean you just it, you know but you don't but it's not like most people typically if you put a heart rate monitor on them you didn't change anything else 
you would find that they're running 85%. And it's like the total worst area to, to run in because you're, you're not lactate threshold, but you're just under it, you know? And they're like, oh, I feel fine, you know? And, and they, they, every year they go and they run the same way and they wonder how come they're gaining weight, especially like when you're training for the marathon, you see a lot of people start gaining weight. And uh, what's I going to say? Yeah, uh, they call it the dead zone, like, isn't it? A lot of people train. Yeah, it's the dead zone. They, it's either below 80 or above 90. That's You don't run mm. in the in the dead zone. So for you know, how old are you, Robbie? I'm 44. Okay, I'm 42. So, yeah, under 140 for you and then above, like, 165 or 162. Mm. Anything in between, no way, you know? See, the problem with the dead zone is, because I ran in there for the first four or five years without any knowledge of it, it's you feel like you're working in the dead zone. You know, right. you're, you're, you're pushing that you're actually working and you think this is great, you know, and you don't realize, you think it's counterintuitive to run slower. You know, it means, well, I'm not, right. work, I'm not working as hard, so it's not going to benefit me as much. And you're working just yeah. below the pain threshold so you can cope with it. But I'm working hard. This is great. I'm doing brilliant. But you're not. You're stuck in the dead zone. So you're not benefiting aerobic or anaerobic. You know, you're better off take, keeping those se um, sessions isolated and the more aerobic and building that endurance, the more running and more strength you can get. And then go out hard on the hard days so you're not tired and slow on the slow days. That's key. Yeah, no, totally. Because uh, people that run in that zone, you know, yeah, you get a little fitter, you feel stronger, but you don't have, you know, maybe you're good for like a half marathon or something. Uh, but, you know, going out, you know, to, you know, marathon or pass up to 50 miles, like, you know, you can't, it's not sustainable for the first first thing and then what also happens is that you don't actually get any fitter long term so you don't have that uh cardiac remodeling and where the left ventricle actually grows uh because you're you're not because you're not at the right zone so you have if you stay down there and chill and have nice runs it, it, the other side of it the other side of the the slow the slower long slow distance what they call it, long slow day etc the other side of it is that a lot of people go out and they're doing their two, three hours or their two hours, whatever it's going to be, or four. And, and now they're too low, right? So now they're below 120 and their heart rate is like 110 and they're just barely shuffling. And so, and so that's too low, right? They're down below 70%. So you really got to be, you know, right, right in that narrow range at between 75 and 80 and keep it there as close to 80 as possible to really derive the benefit that, you know, the promise of, you know, the Lydiard system and stuff in the base area. Uh, and that, and that's, it has to be right in that narrow range. And if you go out for that long, slow day and, and, uh, or even your, you know, your, you know, your 10 miler, you know, usually like if you're, you know, kind of experienced runner, you know, four or five years on you, you know, it, it's nothing to go out and run eight, 10 miles every morning for your run. You know, it's no big deal, but, but a lot of times you won't run right in that, between 75 and 80 percent and that's i think that's real key that you're not running too slow yeah. as well those that haven't really heard about this might think it sounds complicated but it really really isn't like it's just a matter no, of just identifying your zone and going out and running in those zones whether it's a zone two run or a zone four run i first read about it in a book called don finks um when i was training for the ironman and that's when i first found out about heart rate training because you can't race at 165 beats for 12 hours you know, so then no. you have to learn about the aerobic um, base and your body learning then how to burn from fat. It's not complicated. 
Um, so I don't want people to think it is when they hear us talking about it. Some people will say it's bullshit because actually I, I just I do run in that dead dead zone without knowing, but I am benefiting all the time. But the first two or three years of running, it's just your o- overall fitness is building. So that's why you get a false perception that, but that will plateau. And when you plateau then, that's when you really start benefiting from understanding the zones and training differently. Right. Yeah. The first two or three years, I mean, you could just, if you just show up and do something, it's going to work. Right. Especially if you came off the couch and then now you're losing some weight, et cetera. But to really, you know, drive that, uh, year over year, uh, improvements, right. Uh, then, you know, yeah, uh, you have to do it. And I mean, you have to do, you know, like the sharpening and all the stuff, you know, uh, sure. But you have to really spend a lot of time in that 7580. And then the other side of it, too, uh, people aren't running enough, right? So if you, if you ask someone, how many miles a week do you run about? They're like, oh, I run about, you know, 50 miles, something like that, okay, 80 kilometers, whatever. And, and if, you, if you go and look at what they're really doing, it's usually 25% less than what they think they're running, right? When you, if, you, if, you, if they logged every run on Strava and they were just, you know, they weren't like, okay, I'm going to do 50 exact, but if they're just doing their normal stuff, what you'll find is that they're probably running 25% less than they think they are. And that's just not enough miles for, you know, initially, sure, you know, you're first starting, you know, like 25, 30 miles a week is so great. You know, 50 miles a week, you know, big improvement, no problem. But, I mean, it's it's 100, it's 160 Ks a week, period. I mean, that's, if you're four or five years into ultra running and you want to, you know, do, you know, more stuff, and, and uh, you know, expand your range of, of things that, that you can do in the mountains or, you know, anywhere. You know, if you're not, you know, 80 plus miles a week, or you know, it's really 75 is probably like the minimum. Uh, but you need to be somewhere between 75 and 120. Uh, you know, for like the three weeks, and then you take kind of the back off week, and then the three weeks again. You know, that sort of thing. But you really have to be in that in that 160ks a week or you're just kind of pissing in the wind. I mean, you'll get some races done and sure, you know, like, okay, but if you really want to keep making those improvements year over year, that's just how it is. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a little bit more than that even, isn't it? It's if you want to actually go out and do a race and enjoy a race that you don't blow up halfway through it and you suffer. Yes. And I think that's what happens to me. But when you come off the marathon run and you move then into more longer distance, you know, 30 or 40 miles might've got you through the marathon race. Um, and you, when you see good runners, you think, oh, I'd love to be like him. You know, he's a brilliant runner. Well, actually, he's just working harder than you. That's all it is. He's putting in the miles. And, you know, yeah, all, more my, time. all my mates that are sub three marathoners or great 100 mile runners, they're running 80, 60, 80 miles a week. Like, and those that are unique, a lot of people that I have on the podcast are running 100, 120 miles a week. And you do yeah. that. You can't do that when you're pushing hard all the time because then you're getting those easier runs in which aren't fatiguing your legs. They're recovery days, active recovery. And as you say there, you can get up every morning and run 10 miles where you can't do that if you're st- sitting in the dead zone all the time where you're pushing, pushing, pushing. Uh, yeah, because I think you'd probably build up, you know, probably a little too much lactic acid maybe and then you can't clear it, you know, overnight you know i mean i don't know exactly like i'm not a sports physiologist and all that stuff just speaking from you know my experience over the last 13 years you know and you know all the running books that i've read i mean it's kind of like you know you just you can't your body can't recover because you're building up putting too much lactic acid or whatever it is and you can't do it but so you gotta 
you know, and, and also here's the other thing, you know, going back to the whole base thing is, is if you go and look at someone's trajectory in the sport, uh, that is just a middle of the pack runner and runner really, you know, I'm speaking, you're speaking, you know, maybe to all runners, but really for middle of the pack people that want to move up a little bit and, you know, get to that, you know, <clears throat> below top 10%, you know, cause I mean, you know, you're not going to be like Sage Kennedy or, you know, some of those guys or uh, what's the guy that won Western ran it two or four times a uh, pretty good guy. Jim Walmsley. I forget his name. Yeah. Real popular guy nowadays. Like you're probably not going to be that guy, you know, because I mean, really he's a, you know, what, what is he like a 13, 30, uh, 13 minute, 30 second, five mm -hmm. K or like, I mean, us normal people like us are not going to reach that level. It just it ain't going to happen more than likely, but we could reach a level that's below like, you know, top, below the 10%, below 90%, 85%, you know, soldier sign up, we could get to there, right, uh, you know, with the right kind of training. But what you find is, like, more than likely, they haven't ever actually done the base period for six months or 10 months or even a whole year. Like, I want you to spend the whole year doing this. You're not going to raise anything, and then we're going to start training. Nobody wants to do that because, you know, you get that FOMO, fear of, the, fear of missing out. Oh, I want to do this race. Oh, my friends are here. And it really, you know, initially, and you look at my ultra sign up and probably anyone that first three or four or five years in the, in the sport, you're doing like a race a month, you know, 12, 50 Ks a year. It's crazy because, you know, it's so fun. And look at me, I ran 50 K and I'm going to put it on Facebook, you know, and, and all this stuff. And, oh, you're so awesome. You get all kind of kudos and accolades and everything. Uh, and all that's fine and good. But really, if you would just step back and, and do it right for a year, that you can ride that fitness, you can ride that fitness for three or four years if you do it. If you do it for a year, yeah. that's just you know. It. So this whole COVID and lockdown and um, period, this was a huge opportunity for everybody. You know, if you sat back, because all the races got cancelled, um, anybody yes. that switched on is sitting thinking like for myself. I'm like, okay, took the pressure off the races from me. I don't just have to get the miles up and and focus on that race that's coming up. Now I can actually focus on strength and conditioning, get my fuel a bit more fine-tuned, building up a bit more endurance space and getting a bit more strength into the legs, ready to go for that training period for when the races do come up. Um, but if you're just sitting back at the minute, like you're missing a huge opportunity because it's exactly what yeah. you just said there. The races are gone and we are, we're greedy. There's no doubt about it. Races are popping up here now that potentially are going to go ahead in August, September, October. I think I'm like, I actually think I registered for that. I think I registered for that one as well. <laughs> and embarrassingly, right. I, I think I've registered for everything that's coming up. Um, some of them I don't even remember about. Um, but what happens there is you can get burnt out and you don't really move forward. You're, you're lucky if you can maintain consistency through those race periods. And, and without getting injured, too, that's the other thing. Because if you're running in that dead zone, you're very, very prone to injury. You know, plantar fasciitis runner's knee and that's where all that stuff happens is when you're running in that zone it doesn't i mean it can happen when you're running slower okay sure you know like it could happen at any time but that's when you're more susceptible to injuries is in there so what, what about strength and conditioning because you do i'm assuming you do a lot of gym work no not anymore uh, you know i i um i started back in november so this run across tennessee the, the preparation for that really started in uh, November. It actually probably really started, you know, back in August, uh, and I just didn't know it. So back in August, you know, I, I was walking 28 miles a day from, from Luzanne to Rome. 
So you really get that time on your feet, you know, 12 hours a day. And I was drinking like 15 drinks a day. So I had a hangover every day. It was horrible, but uh, you know, I had a good time drinking a lot of grappa and stuff. Uh, so I came back and, uh, so like four weeks later I was doing backyard, you know, horrible performance, 11 loops. It was so, so embarrassing, but I, my legs were just dead, you know, cause you know, I was drinking too much. Your body can't recover and stuff. And so about two weeks after that, then I started like, okay, I'm going to like start training legitly now. So I had a 200 miler in February that I'd quit, but so I started, you know, I ran 400 miles in November. Easy, right? Easy, you know, easy, 80%, 75, 80%. The December, I ran 600 and that was like my Whoa. biggest month ever, ever in, in ultra running. And then, you know, uh, 325 and, and, and in January, which I probably should have been more like 250 because I had the 200 mile race in February that I quit. Uh, so February I did, you know, 250 March, I think I did 325 and then, uh, April I did like 450. And then so May comes along and GV rat, you know, 1275, but it really started, you know, probably in August of last year, really. And then plus the, you know, the last 12 years of running, you know, on top of all that, you know, so, but the real specific fitness that led me to the, to the May timeframe really started in August of last year. And so if you look at that, you know, prior from November to, to May, I had run 20, 20, I think it was yeah 2,600 miles prior to starting the GV, you know, the GV rat thing. So that, and that's, uh, so it's kind of, you know, rounding back to your point of, <clears throat> of now that we're in COVID and all the races are canceled, this is a great opportunity for, for someone to do that. And I know in Europe, some places where, you know, you're kind of locked to your house and you couldn't go one K from your house, you know, like in France or whatever. Uh, and so maybe it was a little bit harder than us here where, you know, they've closed the parks, but you can't stop you from running down the freaking road. Uh, you know, on the long the side of the highway or something, nobody can stop you from doing that. Uh, so, you know, I think people had two minds like, oh, screw it. My race is canceled. I'm just going to sit on the couch and eat some ice cream and bonbons. Uh, and then some people could have been like, you know, well, OK, well, I'll just run. I got nothing else to do. Like I can't I can't shop. I can't go to the pub. Uh, I can't go out to eat. So might as well just run. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, post COVID, like what that really does to um, the running community uh, in a general sense, like does the numbers go up, go down on average, uh, you know, do people that were in a sport fall away out of the sport for a couple of years because they kind of lost of interest, you know, it'd be kind of interesting. And yeah, especially with the likes of marathon racing and half marathons where they get a lot of people like 10, 20, 30,000 people. Um, ultra right. running can be slightly different when you get numbers like two or 300, which is huge numbers. Right. Like when we're doing hundred, 200 mile races, like, um so it will be interesting to see what happens because that's quite a an uncertainty especially for the likes of marathon runners with all big major marathons canceling around the world at the minute um it'll be interesting because it was such a boom in running you know everybody was right. trying to do it like and um it's really gonna you imagine it having a knock-on effect that people will not want to enter a mass gathering of people like well yeah that and you know, I'll be honest, like, you know, COVID's, you know, dangerous thing. Okay, sure. Uh, all that stuff, uh, you know, especially if you're, you know, immunocompromised or, you know, elderly or something like that. But, you know, for for people like me and you, typically, I think it's not a big deal. I've, I know at least three or four people personally that have gotten it. And they're like, oh, well, it's like a flu. It's no big deal. And, you know, they get over it and it's no problem. Uh, so I think, you know, you know, maybe Boris Johnson, you know, was on to the right thing about the, 
you know, a herd immunity thing. He really took a beating for that. He really went out on a limb saying that. I'm not sure. He's kind of crazy. But uh, but anyway, that's going to end up happening eventually. And I just feel like that the people that were going to get it and they were going to be, you know, have a, a really bad effect and bad things would happen. Maybe they would die or something. That's all going to happen anyway. It's just, you know, like it ain't going to happen all at once like it would have uh, if they hadn't done the social distancing. But I hope that people, you know, it kind of gets back to I think in the U.S. a lot of people are over it, you know, especially with the whole riot thing that they just, you know, started doing. And, and I think the riots were probably even more of a reaction to being cooped up in your house for, you know, two or three months. Uh, you know, yes, there was uh, uh, the aspect of you know, injustice and all those things. But I, I think uh, also being cooped up in your house for a long time drove that. So uh, in addition, you know, to the stuff. But. but even from a runner's perspective, like there's a few races starting to show up now. And, you know, it really shows us how much we're addicted to the sport as well, doesn't it? Like, it's like one race comes up, everyone's like, oh, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? You know, sell out straight away. Boom. There's that many of us right. sitting at home and you've done all this training. It's not even really the training just for that race. You just want to race. You want to get back out there and you, you want to have that purpose and that goal and something that's pulling you forward. Because without right. that, you know, without the purpose, what is there? I think it's very important to have something pulling you forward towards something. Totally. Uh, and, you know, the, the the virtual race thing, you know, kind of, you know, they've had those in the past, uh, you know, but, you know, maybe, you know, they weren't too interesting or, you know, it wasn't a big deal. But when that's your only option, then it becomes like, oh, well, you know, OK. And uh, so, you know, a lot of the race directors, especially, you know, small for profit, you know, organizations, uh you know, local people, you know, that put on, you know, that for their primary business, they're like, man, I need to make some money, you know, like my revenue streams dried up. And, and so they, they put this on and, and, you know, it had a twofold effect. You get this ability for runners to do what runners do, which is, you know, communicate and socialize and have something to talk about. The, the race directors, you know, if they, you know, send out the swag that they already purchased for the race that was canceled and can, and turn it into virtual, they get rid of that inventory uh, and then they also get to, you know, get a little revenue coming in. Good for them. And uh, so everyone wins. And um, so, if, you know, it's kind of how would I say it? You know, it kind of was really interesting, you know, that the, 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 the race across Tennessee did what it did, you know. And then like so many people are just, you know, no one was expecting that at all. It's, so it was kind of really good that, that it caught on. changed that sport a little bit, isn't it? Because I used to see virtual runs and i used to think to myself that's somebody just trying to make money to sell a medal that's all that is right. i would yeah. have no yeah, interest exactly. no yeah. interest in that whatsoever that's and bullshit. everybody on that facebook page who is signing up to that is so naive like do you know what i mean yeah. and then this has actually changed it whereas now virtual runs are attractive even i feel attracted to them well there's a one there 500 kilometer one um in ireland and then there's one from Mizzenhead to Malinhead, which is the length of Ireland starting up. And I'm like, well, actually, I wouldn't mind signing up for that. So I think now that the whole race across Tennessee now and the awareness that it's brought and it's given people something to do, that it's opened the door to that. And over definitely for the next 12 months anyway, you know, people need to jump yes. onto that bandwagon because people want to do it. And it might be a climbing challenge. It might be a distance challenge. It might be the Camino it can be absolutely yeah. anything now. I can do Camino around my town, and it'll feel like I actually right. done it. 
really interesting. You know, uh, Jamil down in Arizona had the, uh, the limitless vertical challenge. Uh, and so they're really getting creative uh, with, you know, with the offerings that they're doing. And it, and it kind of, and so when really what you're doing, when you're doing that around your house, you're really just training. And so it's really nice, like, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe people will, uh, you know, get more fit and, and be more involved, even more so than if they were signing up for a real race, you know. Yeah, it seems to be. And it seems to be a lot more community about it as well. You know, like you talked about going on the Facebook page and reading those motivational sort of quotes and it's the same people and this big ball of community sort of builds up. And the inspiration that you get from seeing what other people do, it's different than being in a race. Like, so you open up the laptop, apart from Dave Proctor, you see his and you go, how's he running that pace? Like, like go oh, away, no. go away, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you're on day 20. I couldn't run at that pace today with fresh legs. And you're on day 20, like, um, but it does. He's a good runner, man. He's awesome. <laughs> when you see people out and they've done their 30 miles and it motivates you to go out and do yours as well, like, you right. know, um, and you wouldn't get that elsewhere. So I do think virtual runs now are going to be staying with us. I think this change has happened. Like, no, I, I agree. And, uh, I'm going to switch topics on you cause it, before it escapes me, but in the next year or two, uh, I've been looking at, uh, doing the Ireland way. Uh, the Bear Brefney Way and the Ulster Way, I guess it kind of links up, and uh, and running across Ireland. So I'm gonna come out and see you in the next year or two. Probably not next year, but the year after. So our podcast sponsors, we run Wild Ni, and they are actually starting a race up next year, which is from Malmhead to Mizzenhead, which is the mm -hmm. full length of Ireland from top to bottom. Oh, nice. Um, so is that just part of the 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 Ulster Way and the Bear Brefney Ways, or different routes, or how does it work? I'm assuming it'll be a different route. That goes right from the top to the bottom and the shortest way. Um, we have a virtual run at the minute, which is the Wide Atlantic Way, um, which is one of the most beautiful parts of the shoreline coastline that we have. Like, and it's 500 kilometers. Um, that race organizer is looking at a two and a half thousand kilometer um, race along there as well. So. I'll keep you posted with those as they come up, but I think that the virtual aspect has even brought that in. So they've started at virtual and then people are starting going, well, actually, I wouldn't mind doing that. So now race organizers are starting to look at doing actually the real format. Well, you know, I think, you know, with the way Laz did it, where, you know, he's trying to, to you know, kind of give some history and perspective of Tennessee and the different regions and, and that sort of thing. I think that um, is probably a little bit more engaging and uh, a little bit more work on his side. I mean, he already has that stuff in his head. He already knows it all. So he just has to type it out or whatever. But, uh, and so that gives, really gives it more value than if someone just said, Oh, we got a virtual run and here's the road and go run it. Uh, you know, so that's kind of what I would think like maybe, you know, they didn't really, you know, get involved as much and really bring that value to the runner. But, um, you know, if, if, they're doing the virtual runs and then they're kind of sharing like actual real pictures of the locations that are on the route and that sort of thing, because maybe they're local and they can get those pictures or they already have them and everything. Uh, I think that would really, you know, bring that engagement. It'll be kind of like on the, on the Nordic track treadmill uh, or the iFit or whatever. And you, and you run on the treadmill and then you, you say, I want to run in this location and they roll the, the video by and you're running and it looks like you're running at the location. And I think it would be a close approximation if, if people that are doing hosting those virtual runs 
would would kind of do it you know add that extra value i think it'd really be engaging you know yeah it allows you to connect more and it gives you a visual goal do you know what i mean i need right. to get to carry today <laughs> or i need to get to such right. and such rather than just going out and clocking numbers um right and then like your mate joe he's already in carry right okay i'm gonna have to try and pip him tomorrow and get further up the road you know it, it's a totally different right. dynamic isn't it um, one thing you touched on there, which I, I definitely have to talk about, is Big's backyard. Um, you've done, yes. it, you've actually done it four times. Yes. Because um, I've done quite a few podcasts, and I have a, a bit of a love hate relationship with that. Um, it's a race that I want to get good at. It's a format that I love. Well, it's... I think I love. I don't know yet. <laughs> um, but I've only had one opportunity at it, and I, it, I do feel I have to do three or four of those races. Um, to learn about them but i love getting people on the podcast that have been on it to try and pick their brains on you know their sort of strategy going into that so because you've done it four times we've we've heard about the last time where you just went in with dead legs 11 loops how did the first one go well the first one was back in 2014 i think it was like year three that he had uh, offered that event or maybe it's year two i can't remember maybe it's year three uh so i was in really good shape kind of like i am now uh my weight was around 180 and I'm, you know, I'm around 163 now, so I'm a lot lighter, but I was, uh, in, that was probably, I'm in the best fitness I've ever been in today, but in 14, I was in the best fitness I'd ever been in up to that point. And, you know, I was, you know, somewhere, uh, I did 37 hours of hard rock that year. Uh, I did, um, uh, I did a, you know, trail 50 K flat, uh, like a 421 50 K. So that was, you know, for me, good, good fitness, you know, kind of, kind of tells you where I was at from the fitness perspective. So, you know, it was really good shape. And uh, so it went really well. I think I did 129 miles or something like that, 29 loops or something, and ended up being like, I don't know, sixth place or fourth place. I can't remember. Uh, but Char it was Charlie Engel was there and Johan, uh, this guy, Jeremy. And that year it went to like 200 miles, you know, so it wasn't too crazy. But that was a big thing. Wow, wow, they can't believe it's 200 miles. And the only reason they really stopped was Johan had to catch a plane. So uh, <laughs> they stopped. It was crazy. But because Johan is like, I don't know. He's, I love that guy, man. Like, oh, he's just so awesome. And I'll tell you a story about some Swedish people I met uh, when I was in Italy. But uh, anyway, so when I first went out there, you know, I'd never done the format before and the format, you know, wasn't really, nobody had ever really done the format before. It wasn't a concept that didn't really catch on until 2018 when they had all of these big backyards around the world and such, uh, with the golden tickets and everything. So I really felt stressed out uh, initially. So I would, you know, you had your one hour and, you know, I'm not a, you know, I don't have, I'm not a fast runner. I'm not a super runner, you know, like I'm just a normal guy. And, and so I would do my trail loops um, somewhere between 53 and 55 minutes. And I've got a couple of, um, on my blog, just John T. Sharp at Blogspot or whatever, and I don't update it too much anymore, but I have a couple of race reports from that if anybody's interested to go kind of get my perspective because it was, you know, immediately after the race. And it's got some times, you know, et cetera. But I was, you know, like you kind of, it just kind of just like anything else, like, you know, you, uh, for the first couple of loops, I would wear a uh, watch. Actually, I wore the watch the whole time, but I would watch. I'd wear a Garmin, actually, I think, so I would know the mileage. And I'd have a regular watch or a Fitbit, you know, type of thing on my other wrist. And I would be like, okay, at mile one, mile one is where the hay bale is. I'm directly across from the hay bale, right, you know, in the pasture. So that's mile one, and I'm at 12 minutes. Okay, good. And 
and then you know mile two I'm here, et cetera, et cetera, and you go around. You do that two or three loops, and you kind of get into a comfortable pace. And the fitter you are, the faster you can go and stay in that 75% number, right? If you're not very fit, uh, you know you have to run harder, and now you're an 85% just to make the time, you know, 12 minutes or so or whatever it's going to be, 14 minute pace. Uh, <clears throat> what you think? Oh well, you know that's not very very hard. I can do that. But you know when you get into that you know, 12 loops, you already hit the road, like you're just worn out because you're just not fit enough, you know? And so I was really stressed out uh, the first six or seven or eight loops. And I would come in, I'd be like, oh my God, you know, like I've only got like two minutes or three minutes and I, I have to eat some food and I have to foam roll because my, my, my piriformis is bothering me or I need to stretch my quads, etc. And so I was really, really stressed out uh, initially. But, you know, the time was 53.55. And, um, and so what's so funny initially, you, what you'll see, too, is as soon as he blows that first whistle, the three whistles, everybody gets up and goes, stands in a corral, which, like, and then by, you know, by, by, you know, late in the first night, even the first night, he blows that whistle, and people don't even move until, like, the, you know, like 45 seconds before, you know, he's going to start and ring the bell. Because like, oh, I've got plenty of time. You know, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not standing up. That's an extra, you know, 30 seconds I have to stand up that I don't want to. And uh, uh, so, you know, all that happened. And so then when you get out onto the road for someone like me, uh, you have a run-walk thing. And I was doing somewhere between 48 and 52. And um, so the strategy at night, because you're a little faster, uh, what I did one year was I brought a really small cot that you lay on to get you off the ground with, you know, real short and you just lay flat or, you know, and you close your eyes. You may not sleep, but just lay flat and close your eyes and your body kind of will reset a little bit. And that'll kind of get you through that first night, you know, that witching hour between two and four when you're super tired. Um, uh, so that's how I approached it. And at that time, you know, I quit mostly because I was tired and I should have probably just drank a shit ton of caffeine or something, but you can't do that either because then you'll crash from that too. But, but, you know, I was, I looked at said, man, you know, like I've never done this before. Like, I'm so happy. I'm like 129 miles. Like I've never achieved that, you know? So I was kind of like, I'm thinking I'm at my mental limit of what's possible for me. And when they did the 200 miles, I'm like, man, I, my, my goal one day is to do 200 miles. I can do 200 miles. Uh, but so, so that was kind of my experience the first year. Do you think that was the main thing you got out of that then was like, you were chuffed. You didn't really have any aspirations cause you didn't really know what was going to happen. But then when they passed 200, it sort of opened the lid to that a little bit and thought, Hmm, well, actually that's possible. Yeah. Mentally it's possible. And I really feel like this year it's going to go over 300 miles uh, with the people that are on there. If they show up, it's going over 300. Uh, I'm just gonna, you just put that in your book. It's going to go, I'm going to say it's going to go 75 loops, maybe 80, right? So you can just put that in your notes and see, we'll see what happens. But, but yeah, you know, mentally, it was a, you know, mentally, you know, I was like, oh, I did a good job. You know, I'm a good runner. Uh, I didn't think that I could do this much. You know, I'm watch much better than I thought I could be. So I'm really uh, ha happy. But then when somebody throws up a number like 200, 250, you know, Johan, I think at 265 one year or 270 it was. Uh, then you're like, holy crap, you know, like this is what's really possible. This is the real deal. And, you know, I aspire to be better. And so, 
like I could do 200 too. I, that's my goal. I'm going to do 200 next time I come. And so I show up the next year or maybe the year after. I can't remember. He didn't do it one year because it uh, had some issues. Well, he didn't have time to clear the trail or something. I forgot what it was. And um, so, but uh, over the next three years, like uh, my, you know, I had, you know, injury here, injury here. Uh, you know, I was drinking too much. I was eating too much. And, you know, I was, you know, you know, back then I was about 182 and, you know, from late 15, you know, probably, you know, starting in 16 all the way through uh, the end of 19, I was 195 pounds. So you show up there and you're that weight and you're not running 100 miles a week. Like you're just you're just shit out of luck. If you can make 24 hours, you're doing pretty good. So I just never had the fitness. I never came back with the fitness that I had in 14. And one of my motivations for the GV rat was, you know, if I can do real good, you know, maybe like top 10 or something, then maybe I, Laz will let me come back because, you know, he kind of selects who he wants to run. And, you know, it's his race. He can do whatever he wants. You know, it's his property. Like he doesn't owe anybody anything. You know, he created it and it became worldwide phenomenon. And so you can't have all these people around the world tell him how to run his own race on his own property. That's insane. Right. So so he you know, he wants it to go a long ways. But, you know, other side of it is he wants to honor, like, people that have, you know, been there a bunch and supported and, you know, I mean, like legacy-type runners. But, mm -hmm. but you know, that's not going to be too many slots. And it's like, well, maybe if I do real good, maybe he'll let me in, you know, because I've done it four times. I'm like a legacy runner and, you know, and stuff. And so that was, you know, really kind of what – where that's one of the reasons I set my goal for to doing the whole thing in a month or six weeks or, you know, four weeks, five weeks. It was the hope that since all of the races got canceled, all the golden tickets – that he needs criteria to select people, right? That, you know, that he's already got some people in, but they're all, you know, just the most awesome people in the world. And maybe they already had a golden ticket or whatever the case may be. So they're already in like 30, 40 people. And I was like, well, how do I, you know, how do I get him to put me in the race? And I was like, well, if I do real good, you know, maybe he'll put me in. And so we'll see. He hasn't put me in yet, but uh, I think he's probably a little distracted right now. But so that was- <laughs> But you're you know, on the radar. You're on the radar though, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really hope, you know, he gives me that opportunity because, you know, now if I continue to train and et cetera, uh, you know, I really feel like that I can go 200. And that's always been my goal after the first year. And uh, and then after that, we'll see, you know, I, I can't say that I would could do 250 or 300. You know, that would be such a dream. Like, wow, I can't believe it. You know, it's me. You know, if it was me and Courtney and Johan and Maggie and two or three others and we're and we're past 250, like I could just quit and be happy with that. Like, okay, it's great. You know, I'm with the best, you know. And, but when, but you, uh, when you take a look at Will Hayward last year, like that. Oh, yeah, Will. Totally. I think that was one of the best backyard performances we've ever seen. Like, you know, very much in the same situation. Doesn't really know. 150 miles would be amazing. And he took Maggie the full way. Like, you know, he went into the deep. He went down into the dungeon, that guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I watched him in the, for for probably 10 loops because I was like, man, this guy's going to quit on this loop. I can just see it. Like he just, he just like, he's dead, you know, like there's no way you can do another loop. And then he would go and do another loop. And it's like, Oh, he's definitely going to quit on this one. Like it, Maggie's got him for sure now. And I think, you know, at some point in that last 10 loops or so, I think, I think maybe she got a little discouraged. You know, I don't know for sure. Uh, my ex was crewing her, uh, and so I kind of, you know, stayed away from, cause they had Amelia Boone, uh, was helping crew after she dropped out. And then, so it was kind of like the girl show and I didn't, uh, want to, you know, 
you know, get involved and, you know, start, you know, like maybe, you know, be accused of mansplaining or something or because it wasn't really for me to crew or to help. You know, she already had that assistance and and stuff. So I kind of stayed out of the picture once I quit. And I just drank beer and, uh, you know, what, you know, right. and just me and I think Garab, the Garab guy, Garab Madan or something, we sat around talking all day because that guy can talk a year off. He's a good guy. He's a nice guy. And, and, uh, so, so I kind of stayed out of the picture, but, you know, I, I, I tend to recall and, you know, maybe I'm wrong that at some point in that last 10 loops where it's like Will's going to quit and he just never would quit that I think she got a little bit maybe discouraged for, you know, for a time. Uh, but then of course she ended up with the win. So it was really nice, uh, yeah. that that happened, you know, it, I think it was Lars told me, I think it was Lars. Um, he said, you know, he, at one point he seen Maggie turn around and look at Will and was like, are you yeah. joking me? Like, do you know what I mean? Are you not right. going to lie down? And it gave a bit of yeah. nerves that like this guy actually could go on forever. Like his soul has left the body like 50 miles ago and he's still getting yeah, up totally. and going. <laughs> yeah. He looked just like that. I mean, it was just like, wow. And he's kind of real skinny, taller guy, real lanky. And so he's just like a skeleton running around is what it looked like, you know. You know, like, holy smokes, like, there's not even any flesh left on this guy. He's never going to live down the where he was getting fed the soup or whatever it was in the cup. I don't know what it was, but he's sitting down, you know. he's He looks like a broken man, and somebody's feeding him uh, something. I don't know what in a cup. It's an amazing picture. Um, I was actually on a run one day over the mountains and I was really struggling. And I just brought the vision of Will's picture. And I thought to myself, well, I'm nowhere near that. So just keep your sorry ass moving. Like, so much more in you. But it's such a great, inspiring race, like, isn't it? It's phenomenal what he's created. It's a sport in itself. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, only someone, I think, like Laz, could have done that that concept because he's got you know so many years experience in the in the sport <clears throat> and it's not just trail running or road running i mean you know back in the day everybody's road runner you know kind of how it was you know in the early mid to late 70s sort of stuff and the whole running boom and all that stuff you know post i don't know munich olympics or whatever you know uh when we had some good people and then pre-fontaine and all that you know like in the late 70s here in the u.s but so he's been around the whole time and not only that, you know, he's he's spent a lot of time, you know, with people in the multi-day world. And, you know, and I think this concept really, you know, kind of comes out of of a multi-day experience because it would really take like a multi-day person to really say, oh, yeah, you could easily do this. It's not a problem. And I think maybe it was also partly inspired by the uh, by the, the Stephen King book, too. So, which, right. Which one was that? Uh, the Long Walk, I think. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, basically, you know, it was written by Stephen King, but I think it was under his pseudonym at the time, Bachman, Harold Bachman or whatever it was, I can't remember. But, you know, uh, you got selected in a lottery uh, to go, and then if you drop below four miles an hour pace, uh, and they had to warn you after the third time, they would shoot you in the street, right? That's how it worked. And, <laughs> and they, they were like eating some, you know, canned foods or something like, you know, salient green or something. I don't know what they were hell they were eating, but it's a great book. And that's, I think maybe, you know, his experience, you know, uh, throughout the years, uh, with, you know, ultra running and the different formats, you know, cause a lot of people in the sport today are like, Oh, I'm an ultra runner, but really they're a trail runner, you know, or they're running the mountains and stuff. And all these things that happen on the track, uh, you know, 24 hour runs, timed runs, 
you know, uh, they don't really get that big attention, especially in ultra running magazine when they start selecting ultra run of the year and stuff. It's, I can go all day about that. Um, I, you know, I have my own opinions, but, but yeah, that, that doesn't get looked at until you're really neat, you know, really deep into the sport. You're like, wait, Oh shit. What is this? Shreesha 3,100 miles. What does, what does this mean? Like, Holy crap. Cause you know, my 1270 is, you know, that's a drop in the bucket to a guy doing Shreesha Moy. Like, you know, like, Oh, 1270. What does that take about two weeks? You know? <laughs> right. And, uh, so anyway, so, so it was really unique. Uh, and I think he was just one of the, one of the rare people that could have, could have made this. And then with his reputation with Barclays internationally famous, mm -hmm. that it really picked up the way it did. Uh, once people really kind of got an understanding of the concept, I'm like, Holy shit, this is awesome. I, right? I, I don't so, know. One reflection I had after, cause I've only done the event once and I done 50 miles. I did go out on the 13 loop and you did. And I pulled that there is one point at mile one where you can actually pull off the course. You'll go past the finish again. So I was like, oh. yeah, I didn't want to die in the seat, so I goes, right, I'm definitely not dying on the seat. Get out there. But when I was coming past the one-mile marker, well, which was the finish line, I was like, ah, no, it's over. At least I didn't die in the seat. And Oh, so you went out on, on uh, loop 13, or was it on loop 12? Yeah, loop 13 I went out on. Um, okay. But like I'd, I had trained on the course and done like nine loops, like eight loops one weekend and nine loops the next weekend, just a couple of weeks before it, and I didn't even feel it. You know, my, yeah. actually, loop 11 was my strongest loop. Uh, loop 11, I was like, I am actually going to smash 100 miles tonight. Like, it was the worst backyard that had happened on the planet, by the way. Castle Ward, Northern Ireland, torrential rain, mud and gutters. It was horrendous. Like, really pulled the legs out of you. Um, but so you won in Ireland, the Castle one thing, or what was it called? It's called Castle Ward. Oh, okay, yeah, I saw that on Facebook. Uh, and you did it in 18, or you did it in, in uh, was it 18 or 19? Uh, this year, 2020. Oh, okay, 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 nice, okay. And it's quite a unique wee spot, like um, Game of Thrones was filmed there, um, but it's, uh -huh. it's a tough wee course, like it's about three or 400 feet of climbing, but it's it turned into mud and gutters because we had a storm hit us. We did actually have um, some great athletes there. One was Sharon Gator. I don't know if you know, have uh -huh. heard of Sharon Gator. Um, yeah, she, she she won uh, the high one year with Ray Sanchez, and she's in the movie. And and uh, so I've, I've been I've run that race twice myself. I DNF twice too. But uh, so it was really kind of cool uh, to watch the movie and 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 kind of you know relive some memories and stuff. I was watching it on the treadmill and. And also, you know, kind of, I did a donation for the film and stuff. And so I'm kind of, you know, it's really nice to see her. I haven't met her, uh, but yeah, she's pretty famous, you know. Yeah. And I did a podcast with her a couple of weeks ago, actually. But she had only done, I think it's around seven or eight loops. You know, it was miserable. Uh -huh. Like she goes, this is not what I was expecting, you know, and she's a world-class yes. ultra runner. Like, and you yes. know, you know how tough Lahai is because you've been there. It's 18,000 feet that yeah. goes up to, you know, You've got that altitude, which is almost impossible to complete. Like, and she really struggled through that course. She goes, "Oh, it was horrible. Like, didn't like it at all. Like, and it can't, yeah. it can't be that." But one thing I played with is like, I have, I have never got my mileage up, so I know I can wing, hundred k races. You know, might sure, yeah. might struggle, <laughs> no problem. Might struggle the last ten or twenty. And people listening to me on the podcast would have thought I was going to go 150 miles, and I was really exposed in that race. I was like, "Shit!" Because <laughs> I, I can get through 100k races, no problem. 
and it might be painful right. at the end um but my feeling now is that you know it really did actually expose a, a mental weakness when it came it's all mental it's all um, mental man because in a in a normal ultra i'll always get through that because i've got time you know i'll feel sorry for myself get on the pity step pick myself up again because i've no other choice but in that race you can pull out so it really does test your mental resilience but not only can you stop because you have your little aid right there, you know, every every loop or however it's going to be. If anything goes wrong, if you start getting a blister, a chafing, uh, you didn't, you know, you couldn't hold the calories down, you threw up or something. Like if that happens, you have no time to fix it. I mean, you barely even have time to go take a poo, you know what I mean? Uh, you can't, just time to take a poo, but you better you better be right there. Or because if you got to work for it, like you ain't got time for a poo, you know? And uh, so that's, that's, and, that, and I think that's really one of the defining characteristics is that it's the four miles in, in the hour. And so any little mishap mm. and you're done because you can't, you can't make up the time. It's not possible. Well, I, I, so had, they, I got a 20 you know, second call. It was like 20 seconds. And I was where my seat was, was very close to the starting line. And I'd already had a bit of an energy drop. So I took a lot of sugar and I grabbed a handful of, I think it was jelly beans or something stupid like that. And it totally yes. threw my stomach on that loop. And I came yep. back and I was like, I can't even eat anything. My energy's low. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? Um, went out on the course, done that loop. And it was like, that's it. Like, I can't go out here with a stomach. Like, it's, well, as, soon as, I, as soon as I pulled, I went over and had a cup of soup. And I felt great. You were fine. Like, that was yeah. it. You that's know, how it goes. I'm not, yeah. even, I'm not even tired. Like, my legs aren't tired. I was going well there. My stomach let me down. Uh, my reflection was if I'd had a crew there, so I could have said, could you get this ready for me next time? Or give me a right. kick up the ass when I was thinking of giving up. Yeah, if, if you if you know, you could go 24 hours and probably be okay without a crew. But if you want to go beyond that, you really have to have a handler. I, I feel strongly that, you know, a handler would be very valuable. But for, for, for 24 hours or less, if you bring a handler, you're just taking up space that don't need to be occupied. You don't need a handler. You You should be able to manage that by kind of setting up your own little area and pre prepping your stuff that you don't that you don't need a handler for 24 hours. Well, we even had a microwave, so I had no excuse. Oh, I guess you did have a microwave this year and he had some other stuff. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Um, but yeah. First year, he didn't have anything. He had a water faucet and uh, he, they, they were cooking brats and like, I'm not eating brats in the middle of this thing. Like, this is crazy lads, but it's really more for the spectators than the runners, you know, um, but there, there is a quarantine backyard happening again on the 11th of July. So if I do find a uh, decent route, I might actually have a crack at that. I'm not sure, but it would depend on something flattish. Um, cause I don't want to get yes. a heli route. Like, <laughs> like why would you do that? Um, like Looking at your ultra sign up here, you've done loads and loads and loads of 50 mile, 100 mile races like and beyond. Um, you've done the Barclay Fall Classic numerous times, other big races, big yard, backyard ultra. Like you really are Mr. Ultra runner himself. There are a few, uh, there are a few <laughs> DNFs on there that I would like to touch oh, on. Oh, just them. Um, because yeah, there's, there's, yeah, you ought to see all the ones that aren't on there. <laughs> Because I probably have 10 or 12 hundred mile DNFs at least, you know, I well, could go down the list. Yeah. Well, talk to me about a couple of those. Cause to me, I think that's where like when everything goes right, it's great, but we don't learn much out of that. 
you know right you i find that when people talk about their dnfs and what went wrong and what they learned and what brought what they were able to bring forward with them is where the real interesting points are like so can you take take us through some of your worst horrible painful let's go back to that place (laughs) dnfs well you know uh you know i i i'll speak to it generally you know to encompass all of them almost every dnf i've had was due to a lack of training and not being serious and committed to the training uh that it takes to be able to do the race uh, i've never i don't think i've ever dnf for injury i mean i might have said i had an injury or you know i got my blisters or whatever but you know you could run through that too and uh so uh and then a couple of the ones early on were due to lack of experience like i dnf'd hard rock in 2009 and I had been doing ultras for a year and a half. And that was a year anniversary of my first 100-mile run. So, you know, did I really belong there? Probably not. You know, I didn't have enough experience. You know, I had been running. I started running in August of 07. You know, July of 09, two years later, I'm at Hard Rock. You know what I mean? So did I really belong there? Probably not. And so it was we had lack of experience. I'd never been in the big mountains. You know, and I had a good mentor. But I wasn't doing the, the training. I was probably running 50 miles a week back then you know and that you just can't you could do it i mean you don't have to run a step at hard rock and you can finish the race because that's what i did in 2010 but uh (laughs) but uh but uh, you know that that experience of this is what suffering feels like and uh and it's okay you're gonna make it through there just get over it uh you know have a sandwich uh and a coconut smile and you're everything's gonna be fine but it's hard to see beyond that immediate pain right uh, when you when you have that uh, experience early on and you don't and you haven't been in a pain cave so many times like I you know doing the the virtual Tennessee thing like I was in a pain cave a shit ton I'm like, ah, it'll be all right like in an hour I just eat some crackers it's okay you know uh, oh my leg hurts yeah okay well it doesn't hurt that bad it's all right but you know if, if I go back to eight or nine ten years ago like oh my god I'm so and you, so you interpret t- pain differently. So all the DNFs, well, I'll tell you about the ones at the high, but, uh, uh, but most every DNF was due to lack of training or, or lack of experience. So, you know, you got to run 100 miles a week if you run around 100 miles, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, not every week, but you need to be at that level, 75 to 100. And if you're not at that level, maybe you should think about 100K, right? I mean, I wouldn't do the peak of peak 100K. I wouldn't pick that one, <laughs> right? This got 37,000 vertical, like you're going to get your ass kicked, but... 100K is my favorite distance because, like, you're done in it. You know, you can be done before the sun goes down and have a nice time, right? Can I uh, anything more than that? You really gotta, you really gotta think hard about it, you know, and kind of plan and all that stuff. So that's that's what the DNS for me were really early on. If you go back to eight, nine, ten, eleven, even twelve, uh, was really training, uh, and that's where most of them occurred. So when you when you uh, say train when you say training though it's about getting yourself into that dark place like cause when I done the fifty one miles last weekend, I only started suffering at mile forty four when I sat down on top of that hill, and what mm-hmm. and what I said to myself apart from everybody doing this every day <laughs> in the virtual run across Tennessee, I thought to myself, ah, oh, it took me forty four miles to get to the point. This is where I learn. This is where I learn I'm talking shit to myself. Like, you know, actually, it would have been better if I, I was here 36 at mile 36 because it would have got more benefit out of this run. I'm here to learn well, how to push through this. Yeah, so uh, more than likely, 
the mistakes you made were at mile 30 though right and and that's why you feel like that at mile 44 right if you go there's a great youtube uh, uh documentary uh about uh, Giannis Kuros uh and it really explains how he how he races and you know like he eats like a you know bak- was, it, was it baklava or baklava or what the hell it greek pastry thing like every he eats every 30 minutes 100 calories on the clock just like that changes his shirt every hour you know whatever it was i forget but it's a really great uh, documentary because he's the greatest that's ever been like no one is better than Giannis, right there's you know no one ever he's got every record you know that ever existed for anything above you know 24 24 hours and above right i think so uh so if you watch that and it's really old i think it was done in the 90s but it's really insightful and if you kind of take some of those principles uh you can you know really benefit from it uh so it'd be you know something that you know, maybe if folks are listening and they really want to understand what's going on, it'd be a great thing to watch because you can read, you know, uh, you know, different uh, how to run your first marathon or how to, you know, your first trail race. Uh, you know, a couple of runners here in the U.S. have produced, you know, uh, trail running guides and all this stuff. But, you know, once you kind of like get your little 50K experience and all this stuff, you really want to understand how the greats do it, like the best people on the planet that's ever been. You watch, watch a documentary. Right. And uh, and then try to incorporate that into your stuff, you know, that's it. It's like saturate yourself with like books, podcasts, There's so much out there. You only know what you know. It's as simple as that. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, just accumulating the knowledge and, you know, having the knowledge is one thing. And, and it, just like you were saying, your experience, you have to go out and you have to, you know, have to have that field application. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, uh, you know, <clears throat> so the easiest way to get to where you're at is to go out and don't and don't eat. You'll get there in about two and a half hours, I can guarantee you, maybe three. And then you can feel like what it's like to suffer through that. And, uh, you know, if you really got crazy, you know, they've got the uh, lactate threshold uh, testing meters. Uh, you can buy a really a glucose, a glucose testing meter real cheap, you know, at the local drugstore, whatever, with the strips. And you could be like, okay, I feel like this. Let me check my blood sugar. Oh, my blood sugar is 120. Okay, this is what 120 feels like. Okay. And then now I bonk like hell and it's three and a half hours and oh, I test my blood. Oh, shit, my blood sugar is 75. You know, it feels like uh, it does when I wake up with a hangover. Like I'm just, I need some sweet tea or I need a Coke. But- and so you really can feel and you can go through that stage of, of uh, and you can, and once you, you have those values and you know, like numerically and you test like this is what this is, this is what this is, then you can uh, really kind of uh, meter that. And then what you, we talked earlier about the, response time of the insulin and the sugar and stuff and then start dialing that in and you know you can figure it out it'll take you maybe six months you can figure that out yeah but even without all that like if you didn't have that it just means it's going to be a lot more painful but the experience that's right the experience really lets you know that you can get through this so like i don't know how many hundred do you know how many hundred mile races you've done Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't really keep track. Uh, you got se- ultra- seven pages here of ultra sign up. That's all I know, right? Generally, people have about one, one and a half. Well, if they, if if all of the the fifty k's I did running across Spain every day, and then, you know, greater than marathon running through Italy, and then the one in Texas that I do, I'd have another a hundred. You know, not a hundred, probably fifty or sixty. 50k results you know if you could put them into a result you know what i mean so yeah, it's, uh it's getting to that place though isn't it like the experience that like last year i had a great year of building up um ultra races and crashing out and you know i, yes. went, I went through like 
it stepped up every race I did. So, you know, it crashed out after nine hours. And the next one I crashed out, I took the learning. A lot of it was just the learning was you're t- telling yourself rubbish. You'll get through that. Then I crashed. <laughs> I had the confidence to go past nine hours. Oh, I got to 12 hours this time. That was cool. Then the next one was like, oh, I got to 15 hours. And I progressed that way right the way up to 21 hours. Um, the last race I died about 24 hours, which was a 27-hour race. But I was like, how does it change that way? It's only my mentality is really changing. You know, because I'm hit. Yeah. yeah it's just a change in pr- shift in perspective. You know, uh, like, you know, tell you, you know, say you take, uh, you know, uh, uh, high school, you know, he graduated secondary school and I was going to join the service, you know. When you first go to the service and you go to your basic training and stuff, like, you're, it shifts your whole perspective. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know that I could get up every morning at 4 a.m. and get yelled at for eight, eight or 10 or 12 weeks straight. And, and then there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. But if you would have, you know, 16 years old and your mommy comes into your room and so you need to get up and go to school at 7 o'clock. Oh, my God, I'm so tired. I can't do it, you know. So uh, you get this, you know, change in perspective that, oh, yeah, anything's possible if you want to do it. You know, like my mom used to tell us when we were little and, you know, like, uh, what was it? Um, you can do anything you want to if you want to, right? And uh, and so you think, oh, I want to run 100 Ks or I want to run 100 miles. But then you get 70 miles in and you don't want to do it anymore, so you can't, right? <laughs> so you have to keep wanting to do it, you know? And it's, it's really that simple. You just have to choose, like, if you're going to quit drinking alcohol or you quit using tobacco, smoking, or whatever, uh, whatever it's going to be, you just have to choose it, you know? Like, you consciously choose it and then stick with it. It all starts with that thought, doesn't it? Right. You know, if, if, if you can think it and then you'll speak it and it can materialize, what you think every day will materialize eventually. Like, Yes. You know, if you're a negative person, you're like, I'm going to catch cold, I'm going to catch the flu. You're going to catch the cold or the flu. I don't care what anybody says. Like, you if, know. And if if you, you probably have to worry about this in Ireland, but if you keep thinking, I'm going to see a snake on the trail, I'm going to see a snake on the trail. You're going to see a snake on the trail, except maybe in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> there are no snakes in Ireland, obviously, for those who don't know. St. Patrick chased them all out. Um, That's right. <laughs> so if you were to give three tips for somebody running a 100 miler, what would they What would they be? Oh, man, there's so many tips uh, that you could give someone. I think the first tip is, um, is, you know, do your training. You know, if you have a coach or you don't have a coach, whatever the case may be. Go look at what people were doing as far as volume, et cetera, if you're kind of self-coached. Um, and just know that you're not going to do much of that race above 80% heart rate, so there's no reason to train above that, uh, really. Train low, train slow, and just do your volume. It's going to be – so your training, you know, be, be, be cognizant of what you're doing in your training. And maybe you want to do 100 and you're not at that 100-mile-a-week level. It's okay. You could get by on 65. It's no problem. It's just going to hurt more. Uh, no problem. <laughs> so, you know, kind of be cognizant of your training and, and really give that some deep thought, you know, and that's kind of leading up to the race. And then uh, during the race, uh, no matter what happens, don't worry about the time. Don't look at, oh, I can't make the cutoff. It doesn't matter cutoffs. Don't think about cutoffs. Don't think about how far you have to go, right? Only just think about how far you've come, right? And even if you only come 25 miles, don't be like, oh, I've only come 25, so I have 75 more to do. Uh, Just say, hey, I've come 25 miles. That's pretty good. I'm going to do another one, right? And then really, you know, stay in the moment. 
think just think about the next mile or the next hill or getting to the next aid station. You know, keep your time segments really short and small, and work through the race incrementally, uh, and then never. You know, you don't think about the end until you're like mile 90. Like, okay, I got 10 miles. I'm, I got this, you know. But if you're at 70, even at 75, like it's too far. 25 miles is too far to think about. Uh, so stay in the moment and, and keep your interval small and, and congratulate yourself for what you've achieved thus far. And and don't don't talk yourself into quitting because cutoffs and all that bullshit because most of the time there's plenty of time on the clock for someone that's done, you know, even semi-adequate training. And then the third thing, would be um, smile, right? And, and and say something nice to your neighbor, give a compliment and say something positive, right? Uh, because when you throw that positive, if you throw it out positive, you're gonna get positive coming back to you like a boomerang, you know? Because you're just gonna feel better. Like if you come by and you say, hey, you know what? You look pretty good. I mean, really look like shit, but you look pretty good though. I mean, considering you're at mile 70, right? And you kind of make a little joke or something, uh, that'll take your mind off of off the suffering and, you know, your my feet hurt and stuff. But uh, so, you know, get, give compliments to your other people and have a nice uh, positive conversation. Not not fake positive, but, you know, like, hey, man, you know, like tell me about your kids or something. And, oh, man, that's great. You know, I've got two kids myself or whatever. And, and you know, try to reach out and have those conversations uh, and, and absolutely, you know, on the end on the uh, the inverse or the converse or whatever of that don't run past someone and say oh this sucks so bad like oh poor me i can never do it oh my god oh it's so hard oh they moved the markers and just all these negative things because we actually were doing it i was doing a, a hundred mile cactus rose here in texas one time and this guy come up next to us i was pacing my i wasn't around, i was pacing my friend and he was just emitting all this negative energy like and it was like two in the morning and so he's like, oh my god they're moving the markers and blah blah this and just one thing after another and so i just turned around and looked at him i said hey boss i said i don't know who you are and i don't really give a shit i said but either you need to shut your mouth and quit saying negative things or you need to wait five minutes and get away from us or you need to run ahead of us but if we can hear you say another negative thing i'm gonna you, we're gonna have some problems here right so you need to manage that Right. And so I basically chewed him out pretty hard. It's like two in the morning. And and, you know, I'm a pretty loud guy, you know, and I'm not very tall. So I'm not very intimidating like a tall guy. I'm five foot five, you know, like whatever that is. And, you know, I'm not a very, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like muscular ish, you know, and and, you know, I can, you know, speak aggressively. You know, I know how to do that. And so I really was chewing this guy out and uh, and it made the whole difference in her in her race, you know, but getting that guy away. So I, I... be positive. Be the third thing. Be positive. I, I've talked about that in a podcast before about myself. Um, whereas I was doing my first hundred k race, and I met this guy at like mile forty, and he's like, "How's it going?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, I am dying. Like my legs are sore. Blah 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 blah." And he, he ah. this guy was like sixty years of age, and he went to me like, "What are you talking about?" He says, look where we are. Like, we're in beautiful surrounding. It goes, like, you've already done 40 miles. That's amazing. Like, and he just switched my motivation. Like, it just felt so good. Yeah. And um, it just, it, as soon as I left him, you know, it dawned on me. I had been listening to negative people and started carrying their negativity. Because there's a thousand people yes. in this race. It was a big race. Yes. Um, and I have, I have now started carrying that negativity with me. And I've been giving it to other people. 
And that That's was a, right. that was a brilliant encounter for me because I always thought I always think to myself now I want to be that person. I don't want to be the person right. that's handing out the negativity. I want people to feel energized when they walk away from me. Like, and words have a huge effect on people. And the the last twenty two miles of that race, I felt great just because of that one encounter. So that's not just a race tip. That's a life tip. Uh, totally, it's a life tip. Uh... Like, I mean, like if you're feeling down and in the blue and stuff, go, go over to the Starbucks or whatever, or, you know, whatever your local coffee shop or whatever, and just go in and say, good morning. How are you? And pay a compliment to a random stranger. You'll feel better. Guaranteed. Every time. You I know, s- I still have the odd, I still have the moons going on in my head, but I'm just like, don't talk it. And I think even saying it makes it more real anyway. You know, I've got a pain in my knee. I'm like, I'm not going to say it. As soon as I speak it, I've really got a bad pain in my knee. But if I can keep well, that you know, in. I'm not a, you know, I don't like to deny pain, you know, like, oh, I don't feel any pain, you know, blah, blah, blah. Because really, you're, that's not reality. You have the pain, right? And you can acknowledge the pain, I think, and say, oh, you know, my knee hurts or my feet are really hurting, right? And that way you're speaking the truth, right? Because there is pain there, right? Uh, and you're not, you know, I don't like to deny reality. But with that said, you don't have to accept the fact that it's going to hinder you. So you can acknowledge and be truthful and say, yeah, you know, my feet hurt pretty bad, you know, maybe my hips or something. And then you say, okay, you know, that's real. And then you say, well, but it's all right. I could do, I could do another mile. It's okay. You know, I can, I can work through it. It's all right. And so that way you're not, you're not trying to live, you know, in a falsehood, you know, so. No, I think, uh, I think it's very, imp- wanna, it's very. Oh, oh go ahead. It's, uh, go ahead. I want to reach back to something uh that you were mentioning on your run uh i was was just gonna say um it's important to embrace those moments so what i do is like i'm analyzing my body in a positive way and that when the pain comes i'm like oh there you are you know i I thought i thought i would have seen you 10 miles ago how come you're only showing up now and you know you if you resist it it emphasizes it but if you welcome it then you you can accept it and work with it like yeah no totally uh uh, you know, you're saying that, you know, you had the, the guy came by and gave you the positive thought and look at this beautiful place for running in. And I always find that kind of amusing when people say, look at this beautiful place, because especially in trail running and stuff, you really, you're just looking at six feet in front of you on the ground. You're not looking at anything else, you know, especially if it's technical terrain or something. And maybe like, you'll look up like, oh, nice mountain. But then you look down at the ground, you know, and, uh, but I had a, a you know, kind of a similar experience, not exactly. But in, in 09 in Hard Rock, uh, I was coming in to tell you ride, and I'm uh, where I'm above town, and you can see town. We're pretty close, and I'm just so dead, you know, like low energy, because I don't know what the hell I'm doing and stuff, right? And so I'm sitting on this, you know, little log or rock or something side of the trail, and uh, the, he's passed away since uh, this time. But uh, the, the gentleman, his name is John DeWalt, was you know a legend, uh, you know there, you know uh, older gentleman, uh, you know always you know finish and put his best effort and you know he's just oh the old timers you know like just he's a legend you know and stuff so anyway this guy at the time is like 70 years old right and i would i was like 31 32 and i'm just dying and he comes in he's got his like his little stick like literally like an old grandpa uh, you know he's going down the hill and uh and i'm like oh uh he's like hey how you doing little sonny right and uh i'm like oh i'm doing real good mr mr dewalt you know i'm just a little tired He's like, well, okay, I'll see you until you ride, right? And uh, and I, and he just keeps on moseying down the trail, and I'm just looking at myself, and I'm like, man, I'm just like a, 
like, what's wrong with me? This guy's 70 years old, you know? And like, here I am feeling sorry for myself. You know, I feel like such a loser and everything. And so it kind of motivated me to like, hey, you know, maybe it isn't so bad, you know? And I mean, I still, you know, felt like shit, and, but I made it tell you ride, you know, so. It's all about, uh, it's all about the perspective and how you frame that situation. Because like when we were up in the mountains yesterday, we were hitting 40 mile hour winds. I was almost blowing you off your feet. There was two things actually happened. That was, it was nasty, but I said to my friend, but look at the guys that are on Everest. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're in the snow. We have a thing called the Mourn Wall. We live in the Mourn Mountains here, which is like seven or eight foot. A um, big, huge stone wall that covers the full length of the mountains. Um, and it's pretty unique. So it was protecting us from the wind, <laughs> even though it was like 40 mile hour gusts. And most, oh, wow. most, most of the time you can get behind the wall and follow it um, and I was like as soon as I said that you know look at the guys on Everest who are in the open plain snow blizzards like we're nowhere near that and then it was okay again and they're 26,000 feet so the air is even really cold yeah. <laughs> and the second thing that happened was you know it was pouring down with rain I had Gore-Tex trousers on we were soaked and I was thinking to myself like oh, you know, it was getting really really heavy the rain stuff and then four young boys walked past with shorts and white socks, like inadequate sort of, shouldn't even really been up the mountains, but they were comfortable as can be. And here's us right. gnarly ultra runners up the mountains with all the gear on, feeling sorry, f not feeling sorry for ourselves, but like thinking that we needed all this gear. And these guys were walking right. past in shorts and t-shirts and sunglasses and white socks up the mountain. And we're like, Jesus, like, I just, <laughs> you know, it's all about perspective. And it just right. cha it ch just changed our thought process because we thought we were the only ones up the m this windy, growly mountain at the minute, like, and these four young people just walked past, like, it looked like a summer's <laughs> day. Right? Don't you hate that? You know, like, you know, like, uh, uh, there's a picture on Facebook of this lady uh, back in the '60s. She was older, and she like hiked the Appalachian Trail. She's she's famous. Uh, I don't know her name. I'm not, you know, into you know, the history and lore of, of long distant trails, you know, and stuff like that. But, uh, but literally she had like, a uh, like a pair of like Converse or something and like a, and like a little, you know, little sheet on, on a stick with all her stuff. And that's what she did the Appalachian trail on. Like, you know, it's like, you know, she's just like this old lady and like, she wrecked the whole AT with a little stick and a bed sheet, you know, like, holy shit, you know, same, same thing. And that's, that's what I love about ultra runner and, you know, it really exposed, like when I started marathon running, I wasn't, I didn't even know, I never heard the word ultra, never knew that even existed. Um, but the more you get into it and the deeper you go, the more people you meet and the more inspired you get and more and more that comfort zone or that, those limits open up and like your mindset, yeah. it's a huge shift in your mindset of what's possible, like for yourself. You know, and that's, uh, speaking of, you know, shifting in mind, just, mindset and what's possible for yourself you know the the real benefit i i see in you know in, in in going into the ultra space and and then you know trails and then mountains and then multi-day and etc is eventually you get to a point where you know like uh who wants to do this 100 mile you know run like you know whoop de doo it's just 100 miles it's not a big deal and like it's a flat course like there's nothing really exciting about it like i'm not going to waste my time with this and because you've, you know, you've been in kind of like a supported environment and you get to build that confidence and skill because you have the aid station and you have 
the stuff, you know, uh, maybe it's further away, maybe it's closer, but, and then, you know, you, next time you do something challenging in the mountains, next time you do something challenging as far as daily distance. And then when you unpack all that, what it really leads you to is a possibility, I think, uh, you know, of, of, of your own fast pack, right? Like, okay, this is what I need logistically, and this is what I need calories, so I need this, this, and that. And so now I can do like a, you know, like the John Muir Trail, 240-mile fast pack, and, you know, I'm going to sleep two, three hours a night, and I'm just going to create my own adventure, you know, like those create your own adventure books, you know, when you're a kid, mm -hmm. you know, and you read, you know, ending three, and then you go, like, oh, I like this adventure, you know. And so, but that's what I think for me all, all ultra running leads to or should lead to uh, is self-sufficiency and uh and self-organized type adventures right whether they be you know hiking this camino santiago or uh you know hiking across ireland uh it doesn't have to be the at or anything like that but it could be right uh but really kind of like a uh more like a like a fast packing not hiking because too much damn gear and all the stuff you know i don't want to carry that much gear but i really feel like it just kind of lent you know it can lend itself to a create your own adventure fast pack type stuff and then you're not dependent and you don't have to pay the bad water guy fifteen hundred dollars to run on a public road so he can hold a banner for you uh, and so you can run in the desert like it's crazy that's too much money uh and you don't need to pay that guy money for running on a public road it's crazy so but that, that's that's what my that's what i want to walk away with and i feel like i'm getting there to be able to be in that space and that's it's really empowering to be in a space where you know that you can do those sorts of things because you've been tested and you've tested yourself through all these other events. And now it's time to move on to, to the real test, you know, that's class, so. John. We're going to, we're going to wrap it up at that. John, thanks very yeah. much. I really enjoyed that chat. I could have sat and talked to you all night. Um, appreciate stealing a couple of hours of your time there. Yeah, really. I uh, thank you for having me on the program. Uh, it was really nice to chat and, uh, and you know, I had, I've seen your podcast around before, uh, I don't listen to them a whole lot, uh, but I was really, I downloaded a few things, you know, I listened with Anna and, you know, Terry and John Kelly and, uh, you know, there's a, probably a couple more that I need to look at, but, uh, I hope you get Johan on here cause I want to hear yeah. him talk a little bit, man. He's just the best guy ever. So, but okay. Thank you so much. Bobby. I really appreciate it. Right. I'll talk to you soon. I'll publish this next Friday and I'll send you the link anyway. Oh, perfect. That's great. Thank you so much. Good man, John. Thank you. Cheers. All right. So, cheers. And that's what happens when you get two people together who like talking about running. John is a bit of a legend. I still can't get over his running CV or not to sign up. And I feel he is someone you can learn a lot from based on his experience. On John's request, we have the best backyard ultra runner of all time on the podcast next week, Johan Steen. So to ensure you don't miss it and other cracking episodes, why not subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, or Podbean and drop in on our Facebook group aptly named the Inspirational Runners Podcast. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving. <laughs>